Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Has the world just beat you down? Are you feeling down in the dumps and rejected by society? Well, we're here to make you feel better and empowered. Welcome to Whining About Herstory, the peppy podcast about women's history where we chug wine and talk about women from history you have probably never heard of. I'm your peppy host, Emily. I'm Kelly. Less peppy. Less peppy. Not digging it. Get peppy. <laughs> get on board. I've had a rough day and I'm overcompensating. Woohoo! <laughs> Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Uh, we're so excited to have you today, and uh, it's a Tuesday, and so I know I've had kind of a weird Tuesday suck, because Monday, at least you get it over with. Wednesday, you're halfway through the week. Thursday, it's almost Friday, right, but Tuesday... Friday, Friday. Tuesday's just fucking Tuesday. Tuesday is second Monday. Tuesday <laughs> right? is like... Wait, you mean it's not Thursday and it sucks. Right. So we're going to drink wine about it and get empowered. Woohoo. So Kelly, you picked our wine today. I did. And I picked it. Actually, technically, Justin found it. We were walking through the wine store and I was like, I want something that has to do with the stars. And he was like, um, prophecy. I'm like, no, not astrology. <laughs> it was like, like astronomy, the stars. Do you remember when we took astronomy together astronomy 101 in college our freshman year i loved that class it was amazing eileen karenik was our teacher and and she was amazing she was the fucking best but day one she goes so by the way everyone this is astronomy so we're gonna learn about stars and planets if you're here learning to learn about your horoscope that's astrology that's not what this is <laughs> and she said it with this air where i'm like you've had people think this is this astrology. astrology right you've had someone ask so when are we learning about taurus so i'm a pisces um and the stars are just not in a line for me to take this test today can i get an extension <laughs> no, no that's not this class <laughs> but she was great she was amazing i've never like T- taken to stars that well and planets and that kind of science See, i've always had an interest but she like yeah. made it more and i actually ended up taking i think astronomy like 102 or whatever Ooh. the next class was she made it so accessible hey yeah, she really did say their name yeah there you go dr karenic kill it um so our wine this evening is called clear night it's a riesling imported from germany it has a really pretty like it's a blue bottle with like silver speckles on it to look like the night sky. It is gorgeous. I want to put a candle in it. Yeah, right. It would be a good one to like cut the top off and make like a votive out of it. Yeah, if you're like super crafty with your wine bottles, definitely pick up some clear night. Right. So it says on the back, harvested from vineyards in the Falls region of Germany, where the cool, clear, starry nights result in scrumptious, fruity Riesling with a full round mouthfeel mouthfeel i was like my favorite wine term i feel i love when people talk about food and wine and they use the term mouthfeel because it's not something i've ever considered but it's totally true it's why some people hate applesauce it just it feels weird coconut's another big one because it's kind of like it's like it has that like rough texture yeah but it is it is a good wine there's definitely like a very pungent note at the end like not bad but it's like chart almost here i'm gonna take so i already finished my wine uh hold on she had like a half an hour conversation with my husband you're right i was just sitting there like well that's because in my position i have to address programming issues i don't actually fix them but i need to explain to people why something went wrong and that's really hard when you're not a programmer (laughs) so kelly's husband who is a programmer and it person was kind enough to Tell me why sometimes things go wrong. Because my answer is more often than not, because technology is bullshit. (laughs) And you can't tell that to people. (laughs) Some people you can. And they're like, yeah, I know. It's fucking bullshit. Yeah. So uh, I finished my wine. But you're right. It's kind of smooth and then has this sour note on the back end. That's why Justin was shaking his head at me during your conversation. Because the first sip I took, I think I made a funny face. And he was just like. I thought he was just disappointed with my lack of knowledge. No, it was me. <laughs> Wait, why are you a project manager for a place that builds websites when you don't know shit about websites? Uh, because I'm good at talking to people. Yay. Derp. 
All right, then. All right. Well, uh, I am going... No, I, I, I am go going first. second going this second. week. Yes, thank Just God. Sit back a little and enjoy my. Actually, my story's not sad, so we can be peppy this week. Oh, mine is. We're gonna. We can be peppy for half the episode. Okay, I started peppy. Kelly's gonna keep us peppy, and then I'm gonna bring us right back down to earth. Okay, sounds good. Right for the end. All right. So today I'm doing Cecilia Payne. I love that name. Right. It's equal parts pretty and then like violent. Right. It gets harder to pronounce after she gets married, so we're just going to stick with Cecilia. Cecilia yes. Payne. Um, Something. Yeah. We'll get there. So she was born in Wendover, England, to Mother Emma Lor- Lorraine. L- I knew I was going to mispronounce this because it's Lenora, <laughs> but I want to say, like, Lorena. Oh, my God. Who is knocking at your door? Lorraine. Lorraine. <laughs> it's actually, it actually might be Le- Leonora. Because it's L-E-O-N-O-R-A. I knew a girl in high school who spelled her name like that, and her name was Lenora. Okay, we're going to go with Lenora then. So Emma Lenora Helena, which is a great name, and Father Edward John Payne. Her father died when Cecilia was only four, and so her mother had to take on the the challenge of raising a family on her own as Cecilia had two siblings. So it was just the mom and the three kids. What what year is this? Um, I need to figure out how I'm imagining everyone dressed. I don't know. Like, are they in uh, MC Hammer Pants? would have pants? been early 1900s. Okay, so petticoats. Yeah. Sweet. Not MC Hammer no, Pants. No, <laughs> um, Cecilia went to the St. Paul's Girls School and in 1919 won a scholarship to the Noonham College at Cambridge University. There, she studied botany, physics, and chemistry. However, she had her worldview changed, her words, <laughs> When she attended a lecture by Arthur Eddington on his 1919 expedition to the island of Principe in the Gulf of New Guinea. This expedition was to photograph the stars near a solar eclipse to test Einstein's theory of relativity. Are you sure it wasn't Dr. Krennic with the stars? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, This is all making sense with your wine. (laughs) Yeah. She said of the lecture, quote, The result was a complete transformation of my world picture. My world had been so shaken that I experienced something very like a nervous breakdown, end quote. Oh, my God. Yep. I am so inspired. I'm going to lose my fucking mind. (laughs) Right. So she she continued studying, you know, what she started, botany, physics, chemistry, because, you know, you can physics, it ties into astronomy really well. It's a well-rounded education. Right. So she continued her current studies, and in her autobiography... Cecilia talks about that while in school, she created an experiment on the efficacy of prayer by dividing her exams into two groups, praying for a successful one, and then the other one, she wouldn't pray, and that was the control group. Oh, my God. Yeah. She achieved higher marks on the latter, so on the one that she didn't pray during, and later she did, beca- and later she became an agnostic. Okay. Let me so I love that she's this. just like, I'm going to test this. So she is testing the validity of praying for good grades by using a control group in which she doesn't pray, yep. and then a group where she does pray before her exams, yep. and she does better on the ones where she doesn't pray. Yep. I feel like that there may have been some internal motivation there, <laughs> you know? like Because if she's already questioning it to the point where she's experimenting on whether god (laughs) exists or not i don't know i just i thought that was interesting i love that though because that reminds me of like growing up going to a catholic school as students we were always trying to break the system well did hit could hitler go to heaven if the second before he died he was genuinely sorry well he'd probably end up in purgatory but i guess so and like the priests are just yeah, they just shake done their with head, us. Yeah. And that sounds exactly like the kind of bullshit we would have done. Right, exactly. And like, then you I know what the nuns that. would have said? What? Well, God's making you get... No, wait, never mind, because that doesn't work. She got higher grades on the ones that she didn't pray. Yep. I was going to say, you got lower grades on the ones you didn't pray on because God is punishing you. <laughs> but nope. He's pissed off that you're questioning him. Right. So she did go on to complete her degree. However, she was not awarded a degree because of her gender, because Cambridge did not grant degrees to women until 1948. Fucking Edinburgh Seven and fucking patriarchy. God damn it! Which is great. As I say, which is our wine glass. We didn't cheers. Oh, we can do it now. Okay, cheers to the beautiful weather we've had the past couple days. We're Minnesotans. We're always going to be grateful for the weather. Clink. And we're using our plastic wine glasses. We're using our plastic fucking patriarchy glasses. 
uh, courtesy of the Wine and Crime podcast, another yeah. Minnesota-based podcast that talks about true crime and wine. Check them out. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. For something that has nothing to do with yep. us. <laughs> shameless support. Yeah, shameless support. So Cecilia realized that her only career option in the UK at this time, so this is 1948. No, this is 1925-ish. Okay. Post-World War II coming up to... Yep. Post-World War I yep. coming up to World, World War, War II. So she realized that her only career option in the UK was to become a teacher. So she looked for grants that would enable her to move to the United States. You know, she wants more options. I get it. Yeah. Um, after being introduced to Harlow Shapley, who was the director of Harvard College Observatory at the time, um, where he was establishing an, a graduate program in astronomy, which is great, she was able to get a fellowship to encourage women to study at the observatory. Um, and she left England in 1923 to go do that. Adelaide Ames was the first student of this fellowship. I love that name. And Cecilia was the second. I do too. Adelaide. It's an Anne Berlin song. Check it out. It's amazing. <laughs> Adelaide, Adelaide, <laughs> please don't sue me now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. So Harlow, which is also a great name because that's his first name. I like that too. Harlow. Um, I would name a cat or a dog. A, right. I would name a dog Harlow. Harlow. Yeah. Harlow persuaded Cecilia um, to write a doctoral dissertation, which is great. Empowered men support women. Right. Empower women. Everyone. A- empowered anyone empowers other people. Anyone who is empowered empowers other awesome people. There you go. And so in 1925... She did decide to write a a dissertation, and she became the first person to earn a PhD in astronomy from Radcliffe College, which is now a part of Harvard. The first person? Yeah, that's what it says. Oh, shit. Not ever to earn a PhD, but to earn a PhD in astronomy from Radcliffe College. So she left the UK because they wouldn't even give her a degree at all. And then she goes to the US and becomes the first person to earn a PhD in astrology. Uh, Astronomy. Fuck! Remember when you couldn't say yep. astronomical? Yep. <laughs> this is going to be my astronomical. I will not be able to get this right. <laughs> great. So her thesis was titled Stellar Atmospheres, a Contribution to the Observational Study of High Temperature in the Reversing Layers of Stars. Did she mean stellar scientifically or was she like, bitch in atmospheres? <laughs> <laughs> no, she meant stellar scientifically. Um, Harlow liked to say... So the guy that told her to pursue the PhD, um, that no one could earn a PhD unless he suffered in the process. And as she neared the end of her doctoral project on the stellar spectra, Cecilia wrote, quote, there followed months, almost a year, as I remember, of utter bewilderment. Often I was in a state of exhaustion and despair, working all day and late into the night, end quote. That's why people who have PhDs, they, they don't encourage you. They demand you right. call them doctor because they They're like s- I fucking slaved for this. They sacrifice a little piece of their soul to c- be called doctor, oh, and you bet your ass you will call them doctor. Right. So she finished her her thesis on <gasps> January first, nineteen twenty five, and it it, it confirmed it confirmed the popular view at the time by Russell and Rowland on the abundance of heavier elements in the stellar atmosphere there's gonna be a lot of big words coming. okay she then applied saha which was um let's see if i can remember who he was because i apparently took that part out of my notes he was oh no it's down here i don't know why it's in a different so saha his his name was meg god (laughs) megnod saha um he was an indian physicist who developed an ionization theory um that had to do with like temperatures no her her thesis had to do with temperatures i don't know what the ionization theory is but it has to do with ionization in the atmosphere okay so i'm gonna nod and pretend i know what that means so she combined like the current world views with this new type of thing ionization so she applied saha's equations to the balmer series absorption in hydrogen don't ask me what that means. <laughs> Which in- originates from atoms in the first excited state. She was the first to appreciate that in the atmosphere of the sun, 
5,700 kilometers, only about 1 in 200 million of the hydrogen atoms is in this excited state, so that the total quantity of hydrogen is grossly underrepresented by the Balmer absorption. So basically she found out that, hey, there's a shit ton more hydrogen on the sun than we originally thought there was. Okay, thank you for explaining it for all of our STEM ladies and then thank you for just putting Summing it, it into <laughs> one sentence yep. for me and everyone else yep. like me. <laughs> she found that a similar argument holds for helium. So again, that there's a lot more helium on the sun than we first thought. Dr. Payne's kicking ass. Yep. She found similar results for a bunch of other stars. And she concluded that unlike Earth, hydrogen and helium are dominant elements in the sun and stars. So she's figuring out what stars are made of. Yep. Okay. So remember how I said Russell and Rowland were the two, like, those are the two, like, known theories at the time? Yep. Um, So Henry Norris Russell, one of the guys that came up with one of the theories. The Rowland theory, right? Yes. um, (laughs) Strongly opposed her conclusion and convinced her to admit it from her thesis. No, but she's right. Yes. I was going to say, however, currently accepted values for the mass fraction of elements in the Milky Way galaxy are about 74% hydrogen, 24% helium, helium, and all the remaining elements are 2%, which confirms her discovery that hydrogen and helium are much more present than we thought. Russell, son of a bitch. Right? Her discovery of the true cosmic abundance of the elements profoundly changed what we know about the universe. The giants Copernicus, Newton, and Einstein, each in his turn, brought us a new view of the universe, and Cecilia's discovery of the cosmic abundance of the elements did no less. So she omitted it from her thesis. Yes. So how did it ever get published? Um, Did did she ever come out going, bitch, I know what the world is made of? I think she must have published it at some point. You'll you'll see. Payne consequently described her results as spurious which i would meant to look up what that word meant and i didn't so spurious that's your word of the day a few years later astronomer otto struve described her work as quote the most brilliant phd thesis ever written in astronomy end quote russell also realized she was correct when he derived the same results by different means In 1929, he published his findings in a paper that admiringly acknowledged Cecilia's earlier work and discovery. However, he is often credited for the conclusion of his work. So good on him for, like, trying to be like, no, someone else discovered it first and I'm just confirming it. Yeah. And fuck the universe for being like, oh, look look at this man who discovered this. By the way, I looked it up. Spurious means not being what it purports to be, false or fake. So she is saying that her stuff is garbage. And everyone else is like, no, it's it's true. Yeah, it took a few years for other people to be like, it's true, but they eventually came around. And so I'm assuming that after that, it became published, but I guess it never really said in any of my research. You know, I mean, she got her PhD, so she finished her thesis at some point. Yeah, but it sucks because someone convinced her that she was full of shit. And right. she even said, "I oh, I guess I'm full of shit. And then everyone right. else is like, no, 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 no. Yeah. At least, it, at least it was the guy that said she was full of shit that came back and was like, oh, never mind. You're right. And I'm even going to give you credit for yeah. it. So after her doctorate was complete, Cecilia remained at Harvard as a technical assistant to Shapley, the guy that encouraged brought her, to her get over the, okay. and, and encouraged her to do the dissertation. So she, this is after she completed her doctorate. She's working as a technical assistant. Just that's how the world worked back then. What, what does that mean? So she wasn't like an astronomer. She was like a technician under an astronomer. Oh, even though she was the first person to get yep. her PhD in astronomy, yeah, she I was know. technical She's a assistant yep. to the astronomer director. Yeah. So um, Shapley had her discontinue her work with the stellar spectra and encouraged her instead to work on photometry of stars using photographic plates, even though more accurate brightness measurements could be made using the recently introduced photoelectric instruments. So they were like, hey, you go and keep busy with this outdated yeah, bullshit. They're basically like, oh, yeah, you just write a PhD thesis on the stellar spectra. You should go work on this. Yeah, this other shit with uh, outdated resources. The fuck? Right. Cecilia later wrote, quote, I wasted much time on this account. My change in field made the end of a decade a sad one, end quote. Oh, yeah. Cecilia. Oh, Cecilia, you're 
breaking my heart. Is that what that song's about? I have no idea. Because it's so perfect. During this period, however, Cecilia still continued to study her stellar specter. So she was still like doing her own work. On doing the side. her side hustle. Um, so she studied this, the stars of high luminosity in order to understand the structure of the Milky Way. She surveyed all stars brighter than the 10th magnitude, and then she studied variable stars, making over 1,250,000 observations with her assistants. So apparently she also had assistants. Okay. She was an assistant with assistants. So they were assistants to the assistant technical assistant person. Yeah. <laughs> um, God. This, this work was later extended to... Magellanic clouds, which I kind of remember learning about, but I don't really remember learning about. I'll try and find one and put it on the blog and be like, this is a Magellanic cloud. It's um, all white and fluffy and it looks like a kitten. Right? Probably <laughs> not. Which added a further 2 million observations of variable stars. So we're at 3,250,000. Jesus. This data was used to determine the paths of stellar evolution. So, you know, the evolution of stars, which is cool. She published her conclusions in her in her second book called Stars of High Luminosity. It was published in 1930. Her observations and analysis of variable stars laid the basis for all subsequent subsequent work on such su- subjects. So she was the OG. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. OG Star Queen. Yep. So in 1931, Cecilia finally became an American citizen. Oh, I forgot she was British. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Um, and then in 1933, she went on a tour through Europe, um, and she met a Russian-born astrophysicist, Sergei <laughs> Gaposchikin, in Germany. That's that's her other hyphenated name. We're going to just Gaposchkin. keep calling her Dr. Payne. Yep. She helped him get a visa to the United States, and they married in 1934, settling in the historic town of Lexington, Massachusetts, which is a short commute from Harvard. Aww. I would love to visit, like, the historic towns in New England. Salem, Philadelphia, Lexington, Charleston. Yeah, there you go. Okay, I was like, please tell me that's right. added her husband's name to her own and became the Payne Gapushkins, who had three... (laughs) Because her name was not intimidating enough. Payne, hardcore Russian. (laughs) Gapushkins. Um, had they had three children together, Edward, Catherine, and Peter, who never found their names on a button at right. a tourist stop. <laughs> Cecilia's daughter remembers her as quote an inspired seamstress, an inventive knitter, and a voracious reader, which is kind of interesting because you know we talk about all these women and like these big achievements they did, but then to hear like her daughter talk about her and be like, yeah, she was great at knitting and you know sewing, and she liked to read. <laughs> she uh, knit knitted me an entire wardrobe. I was consistently covered in wool from right. day one. My nickname was Tiny Sheet. <laughs> That's a great nickname. That's actually adorable. Right. That's going to be my new Twitter handle, Tiny Sheep. Tiny Sheep. Now I just have to make a personal Twitter. Right. <laughs> Cecilia re- remained scientifically active throughout her life, spending her entire academic career at Harvard. When she began, women were barred from becoming professors at Harvard. Har- Harvard. So she spent years doing less prestigious I'm just having all the trouble. It's the Less line. prestigious, low-paid research jobs. Bullshit. Nevertheless, her work resulted in several published books beyond the one I already talked about, including Variable Stars in 1938 and Variable Stars and Galactic Structure in 1954. Harlow, so the guy that kind of made all this possible. Wait, okay. What's his... Harlow Shapley? Yes, Harlow okay, Shapley. Because you've used his first name and his I last know, sorry. name. Both of which I fucking love. Harlow Shapley. I'm just gonna say his full name. Harlow Shapley. Bitchin' name. So Harlow Shapley made efforts to improve her position, and in 1938 she was given the title of astronomer. Oh, even though she was the only person on the planet that had a fucking doctorate in it. On her request, her title was later changed to Phillips astronomer. I don't know why. I'm sure there's like a. I'm sure that's like probably after a specific the- like thesis or something. Yeah, you know, she was an astronomer with a flathead versus like the little star <laughs> astronomer. Get isn't, it? Isn't, Screwdrivers? Isn't eh? the Phillips the star one? I thought the Phillips was the flathead. <laughs> we're gonna move on. That's not what this podcast <laughs> yeah, is we're, fucking about. We're moving around. We're moving on. Um, <laughs> fucking a. So she she asked to have her title changed, and it later was changed to Phillips astronomer. 
She was elected a fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences in 1943. Her courses were not recorded in Harvard. Like, so she taught courses, but her courses were not recorded in the Harvard University catalog until 1945. Sorry, I'm looking up what a village looks like. Um, oh, fuck. I'm getting pictures for both. Great. Well, wonderful. She was a flathead and a star. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> when Donald Menzel became director of Harvard College Observatory in 1954, he tried again to approve her appointment. And in 1956, she became the first woman to be promoted to full professor from within the faculty of Harvard's Faculty of Arts and Sciences. So That's she, amazing yeah. and props, but also fucking finally. Right. Later, with her appointment to the chair of the Department of Astronomy, she also became the first woman to head a department at Harvard. I love that she's just killing it. And because she gets all these first titles, because she's the only woman that's gotten this far because they haven't allowed anyone else. And she's just like, fuck this. I'm just doing it. Yeah. Like, you can either get out of my way or I can go through you. So... Astronomy people will probably recognize these names. I don't because I didn't get that far. My drink for every name I recognize and okay. stay completely sober. Yep. Her students included Helen Sawyer Hogg, Joseph Ashbrook, Frank Drake, Harlan Smith, and Paul W. Hodge, all of whom made important contributions to astronomy later in their lives. Who was the first person? Helen Sawyer Hogg. I thought that. That was someone from my Hedwig Cohn story, but she was a physicist. There was a female physicist who helped Hedwig get out of Nazi Germany. Yeah. And I, I mean, it might have been. I don't think it's the same person. I think I'm reaching. Probably. <laughs> Cecilia retired from active teaching in 1966 and was subsequently appointed emeritus professor of Harvard. So we talked about this with Hedwig Cohn. Mm-hmm. That means um, it's like a, a high honor. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, it's... It's really like, it's a big thing. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm going to look it up too. I am just on top of Google today. She continued her research as a member of staff at the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory, as well as editing the journals and books published by Harvard Observatory for another 20 years after she retired from teaching. Jesus. Yeah. She died at her home in Cambridge, Massachusetts on December 7th, 1979. So she was 79. Oh, Emeritus is re- she's retired. Oh, okay. So she retired as a professor, but she gets to keep being her a status, professor. That's yeah, right. okay, that's what she, it was. She keeps which is the still title. a high honor. Like, oh yeah, especially at Harvard. I'm sure we liked you enough. We're gonna let you keep calling yourself a professor instead right. of being like, "Thank God you retired. Get the fuck out." <laughs> Shortly before her death, Cecilia wrote an autobiography, um, and she had it privately printed. It was named The Dryer's Hands. It was later reprinted as Cecilia Payne Gaposhkin, an autobiography and other recollections. So that's, that's cool. Like she wrote it like right before she died and then like it kind of stuck around, which is great. There's another lady taking control of her own narrative. Right. Bravo, Cecilia. Her obituary read in part, quote, Cecilia Helena Payne Gaposhkin. I'm pretty sure I've pronounced that last name different every time. Gaposhkin. There you go. That's I think that's the correct pronunciation. It's uh it's Kapushkin, Kapushkin, Capoeira. (laughs) Yeah, that last one, definitely. That sounds right to me. So Cecilia Helena Payne Gaposhkin, a pioneering astrophysicist and probably the most eminent woman astronomer of all time, died in Cambridge, Massachusetts on December seventh, nineteen seventy nine. In the 1920s, she derived the cosmic abundance of the elements from the stellar spectra and demonstrated for the first time the chemical homogeneity of the universe. You tackled homogeneity like a fucking boss. I don't know. So that was that was a that was a quote from part of her obituary. That's amazing. I love I love that uh, her first college. Would not give her a degree because she was a woman. Oh, you can take the classes and acquire the knowledge, but, you know, fuck you. Right. And then she ended up like as a low-paid researcher for a long time. And then she finally got promoted to astronomer. And then she finally got professor. And then she got, she was fucking chair of the department and then fucking head of the department. And you know what's really cool? And I'm not trying to take away any of her accomplishments or any of her struggle, but Harlan? Harlow? Harlow. Harlow Shapley. Yep. B- 
polite golf claps to you, sir, because he supported her. Because it was him. And then when the, a new director replaced him, he also was like, no, let's like get this woman where she fucking deserves to be. And you know what? The important thing is there's someone who's intelligent, who's doing the work, doing great work. It people does are not recognizing it, fucking matter what Gender, how they identify right, what's race. between their legs what their race is like that should nothing be matters be, beyond them being capable and doing what they're supposed to be doing science should be just such a pure pursuit because you're just trying to figure shit out right. and anyone else who can help you get closer to the answer and you're going to exclude them because of dumb bullshit no absolutely not yeah. So good on the people around her for supporting her because right. they were in positions of power and privilege. Yeah. And good on her for keeping up with it because there were so many times in that where so I probably would have been like, up. yeah, she could well, have just been like, I guess I'm going to be a researcher forever. Whatever. This isn't working. Like they won't let me. So I need to figure something else out. And there's right. there would have been nothing wrong with that. No. But, but she persisted. She obviously had a passion for it. Like yeah. this is obviously like she's like, no, this is what I want to do. I did not have that like inspiring nervous breakdown for no fucking right. reason i am going to continue yeah so this is my legacy section cecilia's career marked a turning point at harvard college observatory obviously <laughs> under the direction of harlow shapley and then dr ej sheridan um, the observatory had already offered more opportunities in astronomy to women than did any other institutes and notable achievements had been made earlier in the century by Wilhelmina Fleming, Antonia Mari, Annie Jump, Can Annie Jump Cannon. I've heard of that person. Me too. She keeps popping up on uh, yep. like cool historical women lists. And Henrietta Swan Leavitt. However, with Payne's PhD, women entered into the mainstream. So basically what they're saying is, yeah, other women were doing achievements in this field, but she was the first one to earn a PhD and kind of like show the world like, hey... Women can do this, too. She busted down the door, and then exactly. a bunch of people flood in after her. Yep. The trail she blazed into the largely male-dominated scientific community was an inspiration to many. For example, she became a role model to astrophysicist Joan Feynman um, after Feynman's mother and grandmother dissuaded her from pursuing sci science since they believed women were not physically capable of understanding scientific concepts just like women weren't physically capable of swimming in the english right. channel until one fucking did yep so she she so her this is a, a different woman but faint so feynman you know her grandmother and mother were like don't do science and your she, ovaries won't let right? you science and then she came across um some some of cecilia's work in an astronomy textbook and seeing her research published in this way convinced Feynman that she could in fact follow her scientific passion wait you mean she has ovaries and she's sciencing well Fuck this i'm sciencing i didn't know estrogen kept you from sciencing i'm going to science i'm gonna science so fucking hard so i, I thought that was a little like cute thing like that she's inspiring other women you never know the impact you're gonna have Especially when you're doing something that no one has really done before. Right. That's incredible. So during her lifetime, which a lot of the women didn't get achievements during their lifetime. A lot of them were after. She won the Henry Norris Russell. Oh, there I again. <laughs> Fucking she, Russell. She won the Henry Norris Russell Prize from the American Astronomical Society. She spoke of her lifelong passion when she received this prize. Quote, the reward of the young scientist is the emotional thrill of being the first person in history in the history of the world to see something or understand something. Nothing can compare with that experience. The reward of the old scientist is the sense of having seen a vague sketch grow into a masterly landscape. End quote. That's beautiful. And end of my story. This is the second uh, astronomer you've done, isn't it? Because Caroline, Carolyn, Carolyn Herschel, Carolyn Herschel. By I the really way, really like astronomy. <laughs> the like sub passion. There is a Carolyn Herschel museum who follows us on Instagram now, and I really want to go there. There's I think, also I think I followed them first. Oh, okay. They um, I think they commented when I posted about the new episode. And they're yeah, like, so. oh, cool. Yeah. It was pretty exciting. And then the Emily Dickinson Museum follows us, too. Because I, I think we had a uh, an Emily Dickinson This Day in Herstory thing. Yeah, I think so. I think it was when she wrote Frankenstein. No. No, that's Mary Shelley. Fuck. Like, uh, wrong person. I think it was... We had it a was, quote or something. She, yeah, it was something. 
Emily Dickinson's the shit. That's all we're saying. Yeah. That's amazing. Guess what? It's your turn. Okay. So I have a little note before I get started. When I was editing the last episode, I noticed that I kept comparing Martha to Carolyn. And that was Carolyn Herschel, which I was not trying to do. I was talking I was talking about Cam- Camille Claudel. The sculptor. Okay, I clearly got that wrong too. No, I because th- we got Rodin right. Yeah, well, we, we just we just said the wrong female name. Now we have a third C name to fuck us up forever. <laughs> Cecilia, Camille, Carolyn. But just Camille's story and her association with Rodin, or however you say it. Then that's how it kind of what she ended up being known for. Yeah, and then yeah. Martha's relationship with Ernest. Uh, no, yes. Ernest. Fe- Hemingway. <laughs> what do we call him? Ernest Hemingway. Hemingway. Yeah, something. Um, and how that was what she was known for. So that's just my little corrections corner. So now we're going to move on to my story. So today I'm covering the Mirabal sisters. I'm so excited about this because I've read the general thing because they were on my list. So then when Emily told me she was doing them, I'm like, okay, fine, I'll take them off my list. But I'm so excited. So there's probably going to be a bunch of stuff that you know, just just from your general knowledge. Yep. So if there's anything you have to add, pl- please feel free to chime in. Oh, because you know empowered women empower women. I did last time when I knew stuff about your person. Yes, yes. Um, oh, my God. Don't I, ask me which person I, I was. Get, it was. It was the, the transgender woman. She was one of the first people to have gender reassignment surgery. Oh, yeah. Lily, Lily, Lily Elba. Yep. That's it. I'm like, I can see her we're, picture. We're 22 episodes in. That's 44 women at least because some of, we've done multiple women in some episodes. It's a lot of people to keep track of. There was a podcast I was listening today and one of the women was telling a story that in an unaired live show they had covered and it was one of them had covered it and the other one was covering it for this recorded episode. And so halfway through, they're like, oh, shit, we've done this, but we haven't released it to the public. So we're going to power through. That's funny. But they've been doing it for like three years. And I'm like, no wonder you get shit mixed up. And right. I, I get it now. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't know what I've done. I, like, when I first found Cecilia, I was like, didn't I do an astronomer? And then like I was like sitting there for a while like. The story sounds different, but I know I covered someone. And then I like, I like, I like looked back and I was like, oh, Carolyn Herschel. Yep. Thank God we have Instagram to like document all of our past episodes. Right. I think I flipped through our blog, actually. That's smart. Because I was working on that today. Okay. So I'm covering the Mirabal sisters. Uh, The Mirabal family were middle-class farmers in the Cibao region of the Dominican Republic. The Mirabal sisters were raised by their parents, Enrique Mirabal Fernandez and Mercedes Reyes Camilo. I'm trying real hard with the names. You're doing great. Uh, So let's meet the sisters. Patria Mercedes Mirabal Reyes. Patria was the eldest sister born on February 27th, 1924, 66 years and six days apart. (laughs) Anyone born in February, anything that happens in February, I have to figure out how far away it is from my birthday. (laughs) Patria was sent to a Catholic boarding school, Immaculada Concepcion, in La Vega from ages 14 to 17. When she was 17, she married farmer Pedro Gonzalez. Sister number two, Belsica Adela Mirabal Reyes. Belsica. Ooh, I like that name. Belsica, commonly known as Dede, was the second oldest sister born on March 1st, 1925. I- 15 days from my birthday and however many years. <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't look that one up. 55, you said? Uh, for, the second for 1924, it was 66 years, so this would have been 65. Because they were like a year apart. Sweet. When Dede was young, her father made a prediction that, quote, she will bury us all in silk and pearls, unquote. Shouty to creepy parental predictions. Yay. Yay. If my parents ever made a prediction like that, I don't want to know about it. Oh, don't no. tell me. No, don't tell me until it's done. Right. And then I Write just... it on a piece of paper so I can find it like after you die. Yes. <laughs> She was also the only sister not to go to Catholic boarding school. She instead stayed home to take care of the homestead. Dede married her cousin, Jaimito, and they had three children together. 
All right, sister number three, Maria Argentina Minerva Mirabal Reyes. Because these women will make you say their fucking names. That might be my favorite. And so you far. will be out. I of mean, breath. they're all really pretty names, but that one might be my favorite. So, uh, going by Minerva, she was born on March twelfth, nineteen twenty-six. We're getting close to your yeah, birthday, we're Kelly. Inching up there. <laughs> she joined her sister Patrick. Patria at Immaculada Concepcion at 12 years old. Upon graduating, she went to the University of Santo Domingo to study law. There, she met her husband, Manolo Taveres Justo. I'm just going to call him Manolo so I don't have to know yep. how to pronounce the last two parts. And sister number four, the youngest, Antonia Maria Teresa Mirabal Reyes. Known as Maria Teresa, the youngest daughter was born on October 15th, overshooting Kelly's birthday. By a lot. 1935. She also attended the same Catholic boarding school as her other two sisters and later studied mathematics at the University of Santo Domingo. After graduating, she married Leandro Guzman. She greatly admired her older sister, Minerva. It was actually unusual for Patria Minerva and Maria Teresa to receive educations as it wasn't affordable for women at the time. So now that we have a little background on the sisters that we're covering, we're going to get more into their world. I I struggled with this because it was three people doing the same thing at the same time. So just to help a little bit with our listeners to keep track of everyone, the three sisters we're going to primarily pay attention to are Patria, Minerva, and Maria Teresa. So Patria is the oldest. One, three, and four. Minerva's middle. And then Maria Teresa is the youngest. Technically, there's two middle because there's four. Well, we're not talking about Dede. And she's the second, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I understand because even when I was just covering two people and I covered the queens of the Sydney underworld, like it's really hard. And that's why I didn't do it right when I found them is because I struggled with how to piece it together. Right. So I figure you have a little background on everyone and now we're going to get into yeah. it. So, the world of the Mirabal sisters, or Las Semranas Mirabal. Now, while the Mirabal sisters were growing up and generally killing it because they all like went to good schools and university, right. things were not so great in the Dominican Republic. You see, in 1930, a certain dictator came to power. His name was Rafael Leonidas Trujillo Molina. I'm going to call him Trujillo. Because that's what he's referred to in all the articles. Dick bag. That that too. That too. Trujillo dick bag. <laughs> uh, so Trujillo started out as a president for two eight-year terms. After that, he went full-blown dictator. Emphasis on the dick. It was just like, nope, not leaving. Pulling the strings of a series of figurehead presidents. So he, not sexy finger quotes, left, but was controlling all of the subsequent presidents. Okay. So. Shitty. Sneaky and shitty. He controlled the news, utilities, radio, mail, the passport office, and more. Spoiler alert, he was a fucking monster. So it's like North Korea? Yeah. (laughs) Here's the thing. I actually, he had this uh, personality cult thing that I'll get into. And when I was reading on what that is, there were a lot of examples related to North Korea because it's like, I am the best. I am, you know, God. I am everything good. It sounds very similar to how the rulers of North Korea do things. You know, well, dictators, they have a pattern. They have a pattern of behavior and they have a lot of the similar tactics that they're using. They all got the same playbook on Amazon. (laughs) So he must have also been a fucking narcissist because he erected tons of statues of himself and named cities, parks, buildings, bridges, mountains and more after himself. This combined with propaganda, lies, violent oppression, and other common techniques from the tyrant toolbox helped him create a cult of personality in which Trujillo Trujillo appeared to be the heroic ideal leader. So he's quashing out opposition while building himself up as this like heroic godlike figure. Oh, this person wanted to do this to the country, which would have been terrible. I stopped him and, or even, Oh, we're not even going to know about this person, this journalist who was saying I'm a dick bag. So I've decided the book on Amazon is dictatorship and you, the tyrant's toolbox. One Oh (laughs) one. I fucking love that. That's amazing. Yep. And sad. (laughs) 
Uh, so true, Hio's admirers even recommended him for the Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, which is truly horrifying when you learn that Trujillo was responsible for the Parsley Massacre, which sounds harmless enough, but it was actually the mass murder of 20 to 30,000 Haitians living in the Dominican Republic. And I actually read a book about it in my women in literature class, and I like just put that together. And it, it like, was makes me want to vomit. It was horrific. Just people are any, getting murdered. Any mass genocide is horrific. And, and they're just getting macheted. Like, in the streets. It's it's disgusting. And this is only a little bit of the horrible things he's done. Dominican Republic and Haiti are, like, attached to each other, right? Yes. They're the same island. So basically yeah. he was like, stay off of my side of the island, bitches. Yeah, he was okay. super racist. There was a thing about him, like, when World War II broke out, he welcomed Jews, but he fucking hated Haitians. Interesting. Yeah, he was selective in his this was this kind racism. of like not all americans some americans particularly in some parts of the country feel that way about mexicans yeah he's just he's garbage yeah. he's a garbage person yeah. so there is a lot of depressing pick. history surrounding this asshole but for sanity's sake we're gonna move on because yeah, we'll get more into it just because it has to do yep. with the story naturally the mirabal sisters didn't take kindly to, to trujillo's bullshit Minerva, so the sister who had studied law, became involved in the political movement against Trujillo first. Though Minerva was disgusted by Trujillo's political policies, her resistance was also personal. This time it's personal, bitch. Knuckle crack. <laughs> People who hate knuckle cracking all just turn this off. <laughs> just like, nope, nope, nope. I want to know what happens, but I will read about it on my own. <laughs> I'll read the blog later. So... Trujillo had what he called beauty scouts. These were paid employees who traveled around looking for young girls for him to kidnap and rape. So it's not even like, oh, we're going to like take you and then you're going to be like queen. It's no, we're going to take you. He's going to have sex with you and then we're going to bring you back. He had this like rapey harem thing going on where and like some of these women were housed or imprisoned more likely in like his mansions they had all over the country and he would just pass through be like i'm i'm gonna rape you and you and you and then move on yeah and it's supposed to be like an honor because he's this great dude but really it's just he's a fucking monster terrifying. so in one instance trujillo forced the mirabal sisters to come to one of his parties there he made a move on minerva and when he didn't take no for an answer she slapped him yes minerva get it Although then she and her sisters had to run the fuck out of there because you do not right, slap yeah. the dictator of a country who's raping and murdering everyone. Run away. That was not the end, though. Trujillo made Minerva's life hell. First, her father was imprisoned and abused. Oh, he was Christ. eventually released, but died soon after. Yeah, I'm sure. Probably from all the, the abuse and torture. And yeah. Then, when Minerva and her mother visited the capital, they were kept as prisoners in their hotel, and they were only allowed to be released under under the condition that Minerva let Trujillo rape her. I'm sure it wasn't worded that way, but yeah. That's how I worded it in my notes, because he's like, hey, if you sleep with me, I'll let you guys yeah, go. Yeah, no, it's definitely That's rape. That's called but rape. I, but I'm just saying in his mind, you yeah. know, it's, oh, I'll give you the privilege of, you know, warming my bed. <sighs> he's so gross. Still rape. Luckily, they were able to escape. Uh, then Minerva was banned from attending classes until she spoke positively about Trujillo. And then when she did fucking graduate with her law degree, the government refused to give her a license to practice law. Because he is a narcissistic, rapey piece of shit who cannot deal with rejection because women are something for him to fuck. They are not people. They don't have emotions. They are tools for his yeah. pleasure so trujillo's attacks turned the whole family into activists maria teresa soon followed minerva's footsteps uh patrias then joined the movement after witnessing trujillo's men massacre a bunch of people Dede did not join the movement though she did not support trujillo's regime so she was very supportive of her family's activism she's just like i'm not gonna be as active as you yeah are. she's like i i gotta take care of my home i gotta take care of my kids Let's i gotta say, take she's care the of only my family one that had kids right no i think the others had kids oh, you didn't mention them i'm 
It's if fine. they did, I don't talk about it the rest okay. of the time. <laughs> so together, the three sisters, Patria, Minerva, and Maria Teresa, formed the movement of the 14th of June, a resistance group named for the date of the massacre that Patria had witnessed. Shout out to the dudes. Their husbands joined the resistance as well. Good. This was a family affair. Yeah. This was date night. <laughs> this was bitchin' resistance date night. That would be sweet. Hey, honey, um... So let's watch that new movie, but then we got to overthrow the government because he's a rapist. Sure, honey. Love it. Uh, So they started by distributing pamphlets that exposed Trujillo's murders and gathered bomb-making materials and weapons before openly revolting. The Mirabal sisters would gather around Minerva's kitchen table to plan and assemble makeshift bombs. Knowing they were being monitored and that nowhere was safe, they had code names. The three sisters were collectively known as Las Mariposas or the Butterflies, which is beautiful. And actually, there's a bunch of books written about them, and a lot of them use Las Mariposas to talk about them. Cute. Together, they plan to assassinate Trujillo because this does not stop at pamphlets. They were all out going to take no. this fucker empower out. Empower women, empower women. Fuck Kill yes. dictators. In 1960, Trujillo was going to attend a cattle fair and would be exposed. Unfortunately, dun dun, their plan was discovered probably due to the aforementioned monitoring and they were arrested with their husbands. Now, at this time, the world was beginning to take notice or no longer be able to ignore Trujillo's crimes against humanity. Because, I mean, you can only murder and rape and take over so many people before the world starts to be like, huh. I think that was one too many. Um, You know what, dude? I, I see you over there and I want to let you do your thing, but I have some, I take some issue with it. Just calm down. Like Back ma- up. Take a chill pill, smoke some weed, just chill. Stop raping people. Maybe cut your dick off because you're clearly not responsible with it. Right. <laughs> Maybe just move somewhere else. Just, just go. Just go to like Siberia. Just <laughs> they chill out. I wish they could do what they do in South Park when they like exile a Canadian. They just put him on an ice float and let him drift <laughs> out <laughs> to the ocean. Oh my god! So, um, an assassination attempt against the Venezuelan president also had something to do with it. So this dude got pissed off as the. Uh, Pissed off at the president of Venezuela. And tried to have him assassinated. And tried to have his like Jesus. car blown up. It didn't work. But then the world was like, dude, come on. Come on, man. Come on. Bro, come on. Dude. Dude. <laughs> That's exactly how people talk when they're engaging in world policy. Yeah. Dude. 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 <laughs> dude. That's why they don't want women in there. It's like, well, what do I call her? Dudette? <laughs> So the added international pressure meant that the that the Mirabal sisters, along with a lot of other female prisoners, were released, which is awesome. However, their husbands were not. Aww. So sexism worked in their favor because he's like, why do you because the world is like, why do you have all these women in prison? That seems excessive. Chill the fuck out. But men are OK. Yeah. You know, men who are. Because they're more, you know, they're they're more of a threat. Men are more oh, of a threat. Well, and they're tougher. They're tougher. Women, they're so soft. But hey, they got released, so we're going to take it. All right, so my next section is called Things Get Dark. But I'm out of wine. <laughs> no, I'm out of you, wine. You have more in the bottle. <laughs> You're not driving anywhere. I don't have anywhere. to go anywhere. Yeah. So things were he- heating up, and uh, Trujillo was feeling the pressure. His country hated him, the world hated him, and he couldn't stand that the three women who rejected him sexually and opposed his power were gaining popularity because they were starting to be seen as these like folk heroes, like everyone was getting to know about them. So he decided to solve his problems the only way a controlling sociopathic rapist knows how. Trujillo transferred Minerva, Patria, and Maria Teresa's husbands to a remote jail across a mountain range. It was an obvious trap, but the sisters didn't care. Like, even their friends are like, don't go fucking visit your husbands. And they're like, no, we're going to do it because they're our husbands and we love them. And they've been with us this whole time. So we're going to be there for them. Right. So on November 25th, 1960, the Mirabal sisters, along with their driver, drove their Jeep to visit their husbands. After the visit, they were ambushed in the mountains by Trujillo's men. 
Patria knew what was happening and broke away and ran to a nearby truck that was on the road. She told the driver that they were the Mirabal sisters and that they were about to be murdered, which is a horrifying thing. Like, can you imagine you're like driving on the road and someone runs up and like, my name is this. I'm about to be murdered. Whoa, what? I'm, I can't even process that. Right. The driver quickly sped away to spread the word because he wasn't going to be able to do anything. Right. I mean, she, he could have taken like her with him. Well, I don't she know. She probably the, wouldn't leave her sisters. Though. I don't know the whole like layout of the situation, but she broke away for a second. Like was like, hey, dude, we're about to be fucking murdered. And he was like, OK, I'm going to go get help or yeah. like tell someone. OK. I'm not going to blame him. No, I'm not blaming him. <laughs> I would not handle that situation well. I probably wouldn't have even driven off. I just would have cried. Right, you just have had a panic attack. So as far as assassinations go, this was brutal and messy. The men separated Minerva, Patria, and Maria Teresa and their driver, Rufino de la Cruz, and dragged them into a nearby sugarcane field. Each was strangled and clubbed to death. Patria was 36. Minerva was 34. Maria Teresa was 24. Ugh. We are right between like Minerva and Maria Teresa's I age. It's, and it's I am real heartbreaking. Like, right I feel way too young to even engage in those kind of activities, let alone be murdered for them. Yeah. Their Jeep was pushed off the side of the mountain to make it look like a car accident. But everyone knew the truth. Right. Yes, those strangulation marks were definitely from the car. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. The fact that they had like a bunch of, you know, club-shaped head wounds was definitely from the car. Fuck you. And here's the thing with that, though, and you see it even today. Everyone can know what happened, but if you can't definitively prove it, like, tensions are high in the world. And so many things are delicate. You know, it's very difficult for one country to be like, um, I'm sorry, did you just murder a bunch of people? Well, can you fucking prove it? And then I'm gonna like get all pissy about it and sanctions and war and bombs and it's complicated but here's the thing everyone knew what happened so my next section is entitled the butterfly effect creative (laughs) you guys missed the hand motion (laughs) i did little jazz hands butterfly jazz hands and it was beautiful so Minerva, Patria, and Maria Teresa's murders had an effect on the Dominican people that Trujillo couldn't have anticipated because he's self-centered and dickish. According to historian Bernard Dietrich, it, quote, did something to their machismo. And like in South America, there's a lot about that machismo and that masculine energy. And for these women to be murdered for opposing the regime, it was like extra horrific, which we can call sexist. But that's the effect it had. Yeah. Like you murdered these young women in cold blood. What the fuck is wrong with you? Right. Six months later, on May 30th, 1961, Trujillo was also ambushed in his car and he was shot. Good. Yeah. Happy dance. Dictator's dead. Ding dong. The dictator's dead. Dictator's dead. The dick is dead. (laughs) (laughs) I like that it just ended with the dick is dead. And I mean, it's no curling iron up the pee hole, but it gets the job done. That'd be really, really hard to do to a man or a woman. Really anybody. Curling iron anywhere should have been put on this guy. Like, I feel like getting shot is, it got the job done, but I'm angry and vindictive. So the Trujillo family would later lose complete control of after the rebellion of the pilots on November 19th, 1961, which is when a bunch of military pilots were like, fuck you. I didn't get into it. Yeah. So the details of the Mirabal sisters' fate didn't come out until 1996. Uh, By 1997, Dominican history books told the story of the Mirabals and depicted them as martyrs for their country. Legacy. So, I mean, this this is sad. They they fought to regain their country from a horrible monster. And they... The whole time, though, they they said, like, I'm willing to die for this. And unfortunately, they did. One last time. I was so surprised it was after the visit. And if we are trying to find some happy note in this, that is one. That's my silver lining. Yeah. So legacy. 
The Mirabal sisters and their fight against tyranny has been recognized in many ways. There are monuments, works of art, and memorials, but one of the most heartfelt memorials to the three women was created by their sister, Dede, who was predicted to bury her family. So the father died because of Trujillo. In silk and pearls, man. Her so her father died because of Trujillo. Her three sisters died. I didn't read about the mother, but like this man destroyed her Her, fucking family. Her brothers in laws are probably in prison still. Oh, I I didn't read about what happened. I'm sure they they might have gotten released. I'm pretty sure they were executed at some point. So Day Day turned their old home in Quantico. Uh, into a museum called La Casa Museo Hermanas Mirabal, the, the Mirabal Sisters House Museum. On November 25th, 2000, on the 40th anniversary of their assassination, Minerva Patria and Maria Teresa's remains were moved from the family vault to a grave site at the museum. They are buried there with Minerva's husband, Manolo. So it's like this big um, stone kind of spire in the middle and then the four kind of stone beds surrounding Hmm. it. That's cool. I wonder why just her husband. He might have... I did not read about their fates and I probably should have. He might have been the only one whose remains they had. Yeah. I mean, like we're dealing with a dictator who's imprisoning and murdering people. Like he doesn't keep track of people's bodies. Um, Hell, even non-dictators don't keep track of people's bodies. Right. So Day-Day was later buried at the in the family vault. So she's not with her sisters, but she's in the family vault. Um, the damaged frame of their Jeep from that fateful night is also on display in a small park called Plazoleta Hermanas Mirabal. So Plaza of the Mirabal sisters. I understand why the picture in your Word document is kind of sad now. Yes. So I have a picture that I'm going to show Kelly in my Word document. And it's of Patria, Minerva, and Maria Teresa. One of them is sitting in the Jeep while the other two are on either side of it. And And they're smiling. On their way there. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's like I've had my car forever. I'm sure they had that Jeep forever. But that was, yeah. Um, So... Salcedo province where they grew up was renamed Hermanas Mirabal province. They're getting so many props and I love it. And then for our herstory stamp collectors, the sisters have a stamp. They're also featured on the 200 Dominican pesos bill. Ladies on money making it rain. On December 17th, 1999, the United Nations General Assembly designated November 25th, the day the sisters were killed, as the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women in their honor. The date marks a 16-day period of activism against gender violence, ending on December 10th, International Human Rights Day. Wow. And that is their story. That is their legacy. And I'm just going to show Kelly the picture here. So the woman you covered two weeks ago. Aww. So, and we'll put this up on the blog, but the one on the far left, I believe, is Maria Teresa. I believe Minerva is sitting in the Jeep. And then Patria, I think, is on the far left. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, the woman you covered two weeks ago also has a stamp. Who did I cover two I don't weeks know. ago? Her husband's name was Arvid. Oh, oh, That's oh. The extent um, of what I know. Mildred Fish Harnack. Yeah. Her and her husband have a stamp. I really want to start a feminist stamp collection because no one else is doing it. And so many of the women we cover have stamps. Okay. I'll see how much of those stamps cost. Right? Oh, my God. And then we can never use them? Fuck! <laughs> no, we'll make a cool little, like, collage out of them. That's amazing. I like that. We should do that. Yeah. Hey, if you have these stamps, let us know. And then maybe we'll give you a P.O. box or something. Send them to us. Donate for the cause. Yes. But yeah, I mean, that's the story of the Mirabal sisters. And it they had such a tragic and violent end. And they fucking knew that that was a real possibility. And they're like, no, fuck this guy. We are going to take him out. Right. And they're like, we're going to go see our husbands and our supporters even though it's probably going to be a trap and we're probably going to die. And their friends are begging them, like, please don't fucking go. Please don't do this. Like, And they're like, no, we're, we have to. Right. And it's just, it's so sad. It's so sad. 
but it makes me happy that they're getting so many so much recognition right. post-mortem like they're having areas of the dominican republic named after them they're on money Maybe there's international all this- day yes there's all of this um art and monuments all this stuff dedicated to them and it does not bring them back it does not replace the lives lost but all we can do at this point is tell their story and remember right, them. And remember That's them, the yeah. best we can do. So empty glass cheers to the Mirabal sisters. And our plastic clunk. non-clinky glasses. <laughs> it's more of a clunk than a clink. So. What are you thankful for, Emily? I am. First of all, I'm thankful for your husband to talking for with me for like 30 minutes about programming shit even though a lot of it didn't quite make sense to me i at least feel like i have more to go back and talk with the developers i work with and be like hey what can we do to make this better because i am (laughs) so ignorant with programming stuff like i don't even always know the right questions to ask yeah and i'm learning and i'm figuring it out and actually just on monday i spent like the first half of my day doing program-esque shit and getting shit done like a bass badass boss i was <laughs> i was trying to say badass boss and it came out as bass are we a fish now i'm a bass or a Woo-hoo. guitar either one but yeah so i i'm appreciative of that i had kind of a downer day but you're a fierce bitch i'm i'm a fierce fucking bitch but i'm feeling a little more grounded now good so and i'm thankful for my wonderful co-host who is super accommodating to me because we were going to record sunday and i was just like yeah, I'm not really feeling it. I'm like, I can suck it up and try, but and she was just like, no, I got you. And then she was like, I love you. And I was like, I love you too. I do love you. And here's I the thing. I too. get it. I've had those days where it's like. I just feel because I always feel like I'm the one rescheduling and I'm like, she's just going to stop podcasting with me because she's going to be like, Kelly, you're a difficult fucking person to work with. Fuck you. Why did all the passwords change? Why is our Twitter still going? Why is it whining about herstory with Emily? <laughs> I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> I have answers and they're not nice. But no, I, I get it. And that's one of the nice things about doing a podcast with a friend is, and we've been friends for so long. It's like, I get it. And right. I've had those because, days yeah, too. I, was gonna say, if you, I think you've had one so far, but like, if you ever do, like never feel bad about being like, hey, can we reschedule? I will always be like, yeah, it might be difficult, but we'll figure it out. I mean, we're going to have to do that. You're accommodating me, too, because I'm out of town this coming weekend. Yeah, so so. She's, she's out of town this coming weekend, and then in two weeks, I'm out of town. We might have to do another uh, deep drunk twofer. Yeah. We'll get you your episodes. Don't worry. We'll get you your episodes, you filthy animals. Come hell or high water. Herstory heroes away! Swish! <laughs> Oh, if only you guys could see us. Maybe that'll be a Patreon thing. <laughs> yes. We'll uh, we'll get like a weird green screen and it'll just be us with bad green screen looking like we're flying through the air with capes with giant H's on them. Right. H-H. H-H. Herstory Heroes. Herstory Heroes. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. We really appreciate it. Please uh, give us five-star reviews wherever you listen. It really helps us out. Uh, like us on Facebook, Whining About Herstory, and Instagram, Pod. We also have a Twitter, which is W-A-H underscore pod. Nailed it. Yeah. I'm getting there. Two weeks in a row. Yes. Um, and our blog is whiningaboutherstory.com. And then you can email us at whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com. Give us recommendations for women you'd like us to cover. Tell us about uh, what you're killing in life. Right. Tell us about a family member or a teacher or someone else. We could do a say their name. We can do a full segment. We just want to know. Whatever. Our last episode with Gertrude Ederly and Martha Gellhorn, those were all, in, those were both inspired by other women yeah. because you took Kara's. Kara, Kara. I never actually figured out how you pronounce her name. Nope. She never said anything. She so. said she liked the episode, though. So, yep, so we're just going to go with it. Go, Kara. Uh, you got that recommendation from her. Yep. And then I so. saw Caitlin Cass's art about Gertrude Ederly. And I'm like, Caitlin, I see you. I love what you're doing. I'm going to take that inspiration and roll with it. Right. So, so we love inspiration. Remember, we love you for listening. Empowered women, empower women. So empower us. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. This has been another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.